I am beginning to see that turn in terms of individuals finding the courage. And this is the Brene Brown of like daring greatly of how do you step into a truth and be able to speak it with vulnerability in a space that is safe around you. And so I've seen more and more leaders try to create that safe space of like, let's have kind of an open door, open conversation of what we need to hear right now to allow us to do things differently going forward. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. We are the only business show that explores the powerhouse business principles of love and care for competitive competitive advantage. Glad you could join us. Spread the love by sharing this episode with someone in a leadership or management role. And hey, if you like the show, we would be grateful if you could uh, leave us a, a review on iTunes as well. So we got a great show for you today. Later on, I'm gonna be speaking with Heather Hansen Wickman, co-founder of Untethered and author of The Evolved Executive. So stay tuned for that. But first, hey, say hi to my co-host, author, speaker, coach, Rob Holman. Marcel Schwantes, always a joy. You know how long I've been looking forward to this? Since the last time you and I <laughs> I mean, seriously, I am so uh, ready. I'm prepared, and I am looking forward to what's going to be coming out of our conversation together. Hey, the way that I get ready and prepared for you, buddy, is to get caffeinated. So I am <laughs> like, I'm pumped in all in all manners. So, all <laughs> right. It. So, you, what do you got for us today? My goodness, what don't I have for you today? So, so at the end of the day, here's here's something I think is really going to be helpful to the listeners is so many people, so many leaders, either view the glass half empty or half full. There's a perspective thing going on here, Marcel. There just is. And I think so many people either view themselves a bit more on one camp or the others. And I recently did a poll and it showed that I think approximately like 11 people view themselves more as pessimistic in nature and about 70% view themselves optimistic in nature. And then 11% or whatever it was, I'm not a great mathematician, by the way, but the, uh, the rest of the crew basically put other down. I wonder if you agree with this. I have seen a tension and I've experienced the tension for so many years with pessimists and optimists. You know, it's almost like extreme measures. You're either, you know, again, half filled or half empty. Which are you? And I think most people would even agree. Most thought leaders, most leaders in general would agree. Well, we got to be more optimistic. We don't want to be obsessed with the problems. We don't want to, you know, because if you swim in pessimism too long, there's great danger. So and conventional letting, wisdom goes, yes. Yeah, there you go. But I think some would also, especially in recent years, say if you camp out too much in what some would almost say false optimism or camp out with optimism when you're not based or anchored in reality and how you really feel when things do stink, when there's great challenges, when there's great problems or barriers, then you're setting yourself up for failure as opposed to success. Ooh, interesting. And don't, Marceau, we actually find ourselves many of us, when we go to like a memorial service and the pastor or the officiant who's leading the time, and they say, we're here to celebrate the life of 
such and such. And you're sitting there being like, yeah, I want to celebrate. I want to focus on the good things in steps optimism. Okay. And we're ready to do so. But there's a part of our heart that's aching. We, yeah. we got to spend time to grieve in steps, some pessimism, you know, challenges, grieving, the ugliness of life and the, the, the curveballs that are thrown our way. And any good officiant or pastor kind of wraps their arm around both of those things, bring them in to say, both are needed. Mm. And if we do it just right in this time of celebration, it's going to help our grieving and it's going to set each and all of us up for greater success. How do you view this topic that is so tension filled? Well, you know, using the example that you did, I'm like, yeah, I've been to many of those funerals where it is a celebration and you kind of wonder, wait, did I did I come to a funeral or did I? You know, of course, we want to celebrate the person's uh, life and accomplishments and all that. So what you're saying is that one optimism should not trump, uh, you know, pessimism, because uh, so you're call, you're basically saying that showing up uh, with grieving in mind comes from the side of the side that we will call pessimism. And that it's okay for that side to show up. I do. Because I think when when we when we enter, enter into that space, there's an acknowledgement of when we're going through a tough challenge in the workplace, at home, in our neighborhood, whatever the case may be, just in life, we're dealing with something really difficult, not in the name of optimism, bypassing reality. We need to acknowledge and embrace how we really feel. And in the midst of that, there's beauty, there's intimacy, there's power, because this is EQ at its finest, isn't it? Because EQ really begins with self-awareness. And when we're aware with how we're really feeling. Now, I do need to share this. We can't camp, camp out there too long. I think it requires us to do that, to get in touch with how we're really feeling. If we're feeling frustrated, acknowledging specifically you know, what's that word that we're feeling? What's that phrase? How are we really feeling? Embracing that, acknowledging that. Now, if we camp out there too long and obsess about the negative and get too pessimistic in how we feel or the reality, it ain't going to be good for us, Marcel, or anyone else around. We'll be miserable. I think if we acknowledge and we're anchored in that acknowledgement in reality, but begin to infuse intentional gratitude in the midst of how we feel, and I'll even say this, I think that intentional gratitude, it's basically finding the good regardless of our circumstances. There's always a little glimmer of hope. There's always a little glimmer of good. Sometimes we really have to go searching, looking, and discovering, exploring it, but it's there. And if we do that on the coattails of acknowledgement and embracing how we truly feel, infuse that intentional gratitude, I think that just sets us up for greater success. All this was inspired. I got I to let you know this. All this thought process was inspired of a way of thinking I've had for years. But you know when you come across a person, a columnist that puts really good language to how you feel? It was in a Harvard medical article that I think was uh, written about a year and a half ago. And perhaps we could put it in the show notes. I don't know. But, but it really inspired me to have this conversation with you today. Mm. So if I'm tracking with these thoughts and I haven't read the article yet, but I'm, I'm definitely going to, it's intriguing, is, is that when you're caught in this kind of tension between pessimism and optimism, uh, if, well, the first thing is you don't want to fake either one. You want 
to be in its tension by having this this uh, awareness this mind this um uh, uh being mindful basically being aware of your present emotions your thinking right and, and getting in touch with uh with how you're feeling in the moment right so it goes back to awareness you mentioned eq so how are you feeling in the moment sometimes and acknowledging that hey maybe it's this time of season uh perhaps somebody died you know years ago and and uh the grief comes back uh because you're remembering you know um these moments with this this other person perhaps and it's okay to actually be in the moment with those feelings even though they would tend towards pessimism um and uh and acknowledge our current state of, of being and so when you do all that is what i'm hearing is that then you we are able to be more intentionally sort of thankful for for where we are and be able to then express gratitude more you know more clearly Hundred percent, man. I need to hang out with you more often, Marcel. You you basically summarize what takes me ten minutes. You do it in like a couple lines. Unbelievable. <laughs> and I will say this too. So I think instead of maybe even using language like pessimistic thinking or optimistic thinking, should we begin to use present thinking? And that's what the Harvard article brings out: is when you we are mindful and intentionally, you know, thankful in the midst of that place in steps presence and if anything good if anything great comes about in our life in leadership with our team members with our culture organizationally let it be presence right mm. yeah so with that said um uh, being uh, acknowledging my current state i can be more it, it leads to more intentional gratitude so that if i'm a leader now I can better serve my employees, better serve my customers and, and you know, and be more conscious of what's going around me, be more conscious of maybe somebody suffering in the workplace, right? Due to a death in the family, et cetera. I think that speaks to compassion as well. Uh, it raises our level of compassion when we were able to extend that kind of gratitude to others. But again, don't forget where it came from, right? Being aware of your current state. It's, yeah. yeah, you do you do as good of a job as anyone on the planet, and I mean this with every fiber of my being, Marcel, with helping leaders, helping people be more empathetic. And if we truly want to be empathetic, if we truly want to understand what the other person's going through, it's going to be through being more present. Yeah, yeah. that's powerful, Rob. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. Let's get to what's quickly becoming our favorite segment. Mailbag. That's right. <laughs> it's mailbag time. So uh, John from Ohio writes, uh, Marcel, I want to be a better listener. Everyone is calling me on it. My lack of listening skills. How can I improve this, especially with my direct direct reports? Ooh, yeah, we've touched on listening in the past, Rob. We have. Uh, it's, it's a biggie. Yeah. So from he's speaking it from a you know a management standpoint. Uh, yeah, I hate to see what those uh, um, you know those um, three sixty reviews look like for John, um, because that, uh, listening can come uh, come across and and affect your your business and affect your leadership in so many ways. So addressing the leadership issue for John, how can John improve? 
listening with his direct report. So what you got? Yeah, John, you are not alone. So many people, myself included, I'm not just putting up one hand. I'm putting up two right now. We're just not good at listening. We're not good at active. We don't have good active listening skills. But they can always be improved upon. We don't have to look far and wide in any major sphere of society, whether it be politics, whether it be entertainment, sports, business, to figure out that so many leaders, so many people just aren't listening. Well, what are we doing? If we're not listening, what are we doing? We're trying to get across our point of view. We're trying to prove to the other person how our view, our understanding of the situation is better, is more effective. So first and foremost, I want to let you know you're not alone, John. Second, we need to get back to the basics. If we're just not good, you, me, and everyone else on the planet is just not good, we got to be a bit childlike with this thing. We got to get back to the basics and we got to do a couple different things. You know, Marcel, I'm sure you have a couple things you want to offer to this too, practically speaking. But a couple I want to offer is I like to summarize you know, discipline myself in the midst of a conversation when I have a lot to share and I know the other person has a lot to share. Seek first to listen, ask some questions, sit back. And even though I, I'm pretty full with what I need to share, I'm going to discipline myself not to chime in too fast, too quickly. And I can do that by really summarizing what the other person's saying or what I believe they are saying. And that might just look like reflecting back a sentence, a phrase, a couple of key words to make sure I'm tracking with them. And then it also gives them the opportunity to be like, yeah, you're really understanding me or no, not really. <laughs> so that's something that I really encourage people to do is summarize. I call that reflection based on summary. What are some things that work well for you though? Oh, for me, I'm going to speak directly to John. Buddy, listen, um, first of all, we are I forget the research mentioned that I think we're distracted or interrupted, what, every three minutes, I believe, nowadays. So the first thing is when somebody is coming to you that uh, is uh, that requires, you know, listening in, intently and active, active listening, you got to chill all of the all of the uh, the tech, all of the devices. You, you got to, you know, turn that, all that stuff off uh, in order to be fully present and in the moment, here we go with that word again, present and in the moment, Rob, duh. Um, so yes, John, that's the first step, but, uh, tracking with what Rob has been saying is elevating listening to serving the needs of others. Okay. So that's a chapter right out of servant leadership. So it's, it's basically listening to understand what's going on on the other side of the fence and then doing something about it. So it's not just hearing the other person, is actually listening with action behind it. So that's how I uh, I would approach it. So that's uh, our from our mailbag. And hey, if you have a question for our mailbag, uh, go to my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. Click on the latest episode and just scroll down. You will see a link to put in your question for Rob and I. Rob, it's been a pleasure. He is Rob Holman. I always appreciate your insights. Where can people find you if they want to you know, book you for a speaking engagement or coaching sessions? First and foremost, I say this to you all the time privately. I'm getting to say it more and more publicly. But man, I love hanging out with you, Marcel. <laughs> I put on, you know, I don't have to put on a student's hat. It's always on when I'm around you. And, 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 and I'll tell you, because there's so much experience, there's so much wisdom that comes out of you. 
And hopefully uh, everyone else sees that too, which I'm sure they do. Better uh, way to get in touch with me is just go to my website, which is robholman.com. Excellent. I'll be coming back to chat with our main guest today, Heather Hansen Wickman, after a quick break. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You know, I got this leadership development course out right now, and it's getting fantastic reviews. So I want to tell you a little bit about it because it might be for you. It's called From Boss to Leader, and it teaches emerging leaders and managers those servant leadership skills, the, the everyday stuff that you need to inspire, engage, and motivate your team for high performance, you know, to get bottom line results. Now, we're not just taking anyone for this course. We want to make sure that you're truly invested in your growth as a servant leader. So if you'd like to explore whether this, this experience is really for you or your team of managers, visit my website right now, marcelschwantes.com, and click on training. Okay, so one of the books that has been hugely instrumental in the, in the formation of this podcast is a book that was originally released in 2018 called The Evolved Executive. And the subtitle is The Future of Work is Love in Action. Hmm. So that book is one of the books that that really aligns with the the love in action message. Well, hello, it's you know, our name is in the book's subtitle. But also with you know, my whole purpose for 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 coaching and 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 writing, um, and what I do for a living. I mean, I truly believe that um, love and action is has translates to business outcomes if we do it the right way. And this book is written by Dr. Heather Hansen Wickman, and I'm honored that we have finally connected. Uh, because I feel that I told, and I told her offline that I was going to maybe surprise her a little bit here. I feel that the creation of this show was was inspired by Heather's book, and uh, I and I consider her to be one of my one of my biggest allies. And and when allies like Heather come around, it, it helps us all to further shatter this taboo of bringing love into business. Like it's too soft and fuzzy that there's no place for it. Heather and I know because we've done the research and we 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 do it day in and day out through our clients, through our coaching and training and consulting, that it's going to transform your organizations for the better. So Heather Hansen Wickman has coached executives and organizations on evolved business practices, deep self-awareness, and leadership development. She's the co-founder of Untethered, a coaching organization that helps people overcome some of the most persistent and stubborn roadblocks. Heather has a bachelor's in human resource development, a master's in human resources and industrial relations, and a PhD in organizational systems. She has a passion for supporting organizations as they transition from traditional beliefs and practices to flexible, adaptable, and conscious ways of work. She has witnessed profound transformation in organizational leaders across the C-suite. And I'm honored that she's now here and she joins us. Welcome, Heather, finally to the Love in Action podcast. 
Thank you so much. It feels like it's a long time coming, but the time is also perfect. I, I, I totally agree. You know, so what I said in the introduction is 100% true. Oh, and I, I think you are at least partly responsible indirectly for the birthing of this global movement that uh, that we started with the Love in Action podcast. I, I'm beyond you know, humbled to hear that. And what an incredible compliment. And I, you know, our early interactions when the book just initially released, I mean, we had such great synergy in that space of like, at the end of the day, we do need to leave and lean into this idea of love. And even though a lot of people looked at us with (laughs) skepticism and furrowed brow, I think it's the way to go. Yeah. And now, you know, for us with the podcast, four years later, for your book, five years later, um, we have truly created this global tribe now that is finally coming into view and uh, uh, understanding the concepts of what what we mean when we say love in action. So, all right, well, let's kick off with uh, our, our traditional question to, to have our listeners get acquainted with you. You ready for this one? I hope so. <laughs> What's your story? Yeah, I love that question. It's such a hard question and yet such a kind of a meaty, vulnerable place to start. So, you know, I am, I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur in this space in that I grew up in the corporate world and that's what I thought success would be for me. So I grew up in a small town in Minnesota and had this idea of like, okay, you climb the corporate ladder, you live in the suburbs, you have a family, all these kind of things. And so I set off on that mission and did that mission really pretty well. Um, so climbed the ladder, continued to kind of move in my career and just, um, had this single focus of this is what it means to be successful. And then it didn't. And this is kind of where love and action really emerged for me. I was doing my uh, PhD program and I was working in healthcare and I was kind of noticing all of these things around me where I'm like, I'm working with these wonderful people, but everyone's suffering. Like there was massive burnouts. We went through a, a tragic streak of suicides at work. Um, there was like all of these kind of interactions at work where there was backstabbing and gossip and all these kind of things. I'm like, there's got to be a different way to do this because we spend so much time at work. We invest so much of our energy and our hearts in the things that we do. And yet there's this like silent suffering that's happening all around me. And I was so excited to dive into this idea of like, well, what would happen if we changed the paradigm completely? And we said, we're going to show up for each other at work from a place of love and not fear because that's what i felt everyone was bumping up against this fear of either you know showing up in ways that others are going to judge them or fear of kind of just showing up as their authentic selves and then my uh my chair and my dissertation committee i i love them dearly but they're like heather you can't talk about love at work you know it's just not something that's going to ever fly and at that time in my life and my career, I was like, okay, like evidently I have to do something different because this isn't the way that the world of work flows. And so like looking back, I wish I hadn't made that decision, but I made the decision to do my dissertation on something else because I believed this idea that we can't actually talk about work or excuse me, can't talk about love at work and we can't actually be love at work. So you fast forward, <laughs> um, I'm, 
continuing to climb the career ladder and it's becoming more and more apparent that no, 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 we have to operate from a different place. It's the only ways that I can allow myself to be true and allow my teams to really thrive in the ways that I know that they can. And so I ended up writing this book, my own, after the dissertation was done, after the PhD was done of really like, this is how we need to do things different and dove into other organizations that were ahead of the curve here and doing things in ways that were much more centered in this deep rooted trust of, I I know you are good and I know you're going to show up and you are the smartest version of yourself. And so what does that look like if I just let you go and be the person that you need to be? And then Love and Action kind of took a little bit of a, a twist in terms of it had been an outward focus in terms of how do we create practices and how do we create different systems and organizations, structures that allow love to be the forefront versus fear. And then it turned inward really quickly. And so in 2015, I thought I was, I was offered what I thought was my dream job in corporate America. And I, and I felt this deep, deep tug at my soul that says, you can't do this. Like, and I couldn't make sense of it. It was, um, everyone around me was like, I'm so excited for you. So proud of you. And I, and my head was as well, but my heart was like, you can't, you can't do this. This isn't your path anymore. And so I had to find some kind of strength or courage inside to say, um, I trust myself. I love myself enough to, to make a different move here, even though I'm scared, scared, scared to death. And so ended up um, resigning out of my corporate career and then at that point, it took some time to kind of figure out who I was and where I was going, but then dove into Untethered. And Love and Action is really the core feature of the work that we do in terms of our coaching work. How do we strip away all the layers and come back to love and make that very practical in the ways in which we live and the ways we work? That's great. Take me back to that moment, because I, I want this to maybe hit people between the eyes, uh, because they may be there now where you were um you know pre 2015 is to, is is looking back at that period of your corporate life you know it's like you're supposed to be climbing the ladder and you got the status and the role you got you know the executive role and all that but then you realize it's sort of you know it's not what you thought it would be and but when did the what when did the suffering really take place and what were you experiencing as, as your own personal suffering. Yeah, I mean, um, these are not the pretty elements of change. These are these are the really messy elements of change. And so the things that I was experiencing were increasing anxiety, increasing depression. Um, a marriage had ended. Um, this feeling of um, you're working against yourself. And so trying harder and harder to get yourself into a place where you're engaged with work and continuing to feel more and more cynicism and more and more felt sense of like, this isn't what I need to do. And so there, at the end of the day, maybe the best thing to describe is like this massive values alignment, you know, pushing deeply into this felt sense of my work here is about how do we, how do we step more into love? in the scariest times of our life. And the reality of my world, uh, the culture was one that was based much more on command control, kind of some of those fear-based elements that I talk about in the book. And that tension just got too deep, like the tension got too strong and something had to break. And so I talked to a lot of clients who are feeling that even today, you know, in terms of 
this is safe. This is secure. This is the paycheck. But I know like, and I'm moving my body because they know in their body that something's not quite right. And those are usually the times when you, you got to take a deep dive and try to really understand what, what's the next move and the next move that's most authentic to you. Yeah. You know, some people say that we've actually evolved and we're, we're going to get into the book in a minute here. But since the pandemic hit, um, because there's more flexibility in the workplace, you know, we have this greater awareness of, of diversity, equity and inclusion. I'm wondering, uh, are we seeing are we still at the same level of suffering as we were pre pandemic or have we have we maybe decreased suffering and, uh, and become healthier? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I could argue to both sides of those, but um, on one element, we've provided more flexibility and some autonomy in some places where we didn't have in the past. But when I think about the concepts of love and action from my perspective, so I call them the four C's, so care, candor, connection, and change. I don't think those have really shifted based on the pandemic. And if anything, when we think about connection, maybe we're even at a, a place that's worse. I mean, we are in a virtual world and we're connecting, you know, in these ways, but we're missing this human connection, this 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 meaning connection of, can I sit down with you and actually understand what's going on in your life? And we try to do that over Zoom and some of those things, but it's just not the same as when we can kind of drop in with a person face-to-face. And so I think... um Unfortunately, I think the suffering still exists, even <laughs> amidst the, you know, newfound attention to some of the flexible work environments, the diversity, equity, and inclusion elements. I think there is still this theme of kind of love and action that um, is is present for us to work on. And, and maybe we're seeing different faces of suffering yeah. now that we've never never been exposed to. Hmm. Okay, let's bring in your book into the picture. So this this term, the evolved executive. Okay. So who is the evolved executive? If I'm if I'm an evolved executive, well, I know I'm I, that I'm in in this evolution, and uh, and so walk us through a, what that means. Yeah. Um. I would say there's kind of a an artistic side to this and a scientific side to this. And so the scientific side is, you know, an involved executive is the individual that really does kind of draw into that idea of a servant leadership, that we are here as stewards of the people that are working for us in the organization that we're a part of. And so that tends to be a good filter from the, the get-go in terms of is this something that you believe in? Is this something that you're working toward? Is this a mindset that you believe in and a heart set that you believe in? But I also think there's um, inherent in the word evolved is this idea of, do you have this uh, deep drive to continue to look at yourself and continue to grow in the ways in which make you feel uncomfortable to be able to question your beliefs and assumptions every day, to be able to kind of stand in the face of the critics and kind of own the things that may be holding you back and still be um, have the candor to kind of push your thoughts forward. And so it's this this idea of can we be in service 
to a larger good from a place of heartfelt connection to meaning, to the betterment of all, but also from an individual perspective or an inner perspective, do I continually push myself to grow and evolve past the old version of myself? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like you're channeling your uh, Ken Blanchard merged with Brene Brown. <laughs> That's as you perfect. Des- Describe <laughs> this evolved executive. Uh, so sticking with and not not turning the corner yet on on this this idea of the suffering workplace, I, I, I want to quote you from the book. Uh, you wrote the difference between organizations that exhibit this crisis of suffering and those whose people experience joy and meaning in their work is the difference between fear and love. I mean, is it that clear cut? Is it fear that that leads to our suffering? You know, I don't think it's that clear cut. And um, I've had to do a lot of kind of soul searching around what does this mean? Because fear is really um, elusive in terms of the ways in which it shows up at work. And um, I think we're going to touch on this a little bit more, but the the ways in which fear shows up. And so it is, you know, the the hoarding of information, the the secrecy, the gossip, the all of these things that are ingrained in so many of the ways in which we operate, um, even the ways in which we run meetings, the command and control. I'm the one talking and I'm the one talking over you and I'm the one interrupting. Um, they all of these kind of symptomatic things create a level of fear in the organization for people to show up, maybe to speak up, to take a risk that they wouldn't on on the other on the other side. And those are the things that get in the way of us, I think, stepping into the space of love. Yeah, absolutely. Since you mentioned you dropped a few, uh, let, let's let's call it out um, for what it is. And uh, uh, and maybe this is the reason why why you are experiencing your own suffering as a listener. So uh, you have these top signs of a fear based organization. Um, you mentioned gossip. Yeah. Oh man, I have. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a very relevant topic for me over the last couple of months. And my perspective is that gossip tends to be emotional poison that runs through teams and creates a, a, a cancer of sorts in that it erodes all levels of trust that I can um, assess. And so it shows up in these strange ways. And so someone pops into your office and all of a sudden, starts talking to you about Sally, the coworker who, you know, maybe didn't have her best day and the ways in which she did her bad and the ways that she was wrong and the ways that she should have shown up differently. Those are all the subtle ways of which gossip shows up. And then you're like, okay, if that individual is talking about Sally like that, I bet they're talking about me like that to someone else. And it creates this whole cycle of toxicity and poison that just erodes any level of psychological safety and trust within a team. And I do think it is one of the greatest elements of a symptomatic thing of fear that doesn't allow us to really step into the space of love, step into the space of I trust you and I'm going to show up in my full self and be vulnerable here. And so gossip is one of these things that I think is just we got to pay attention to it and find ways to call it out and find ways to do things differently. Yeah. Let's call out another uh, a big sign for me of a fear-based organization. I love that you brought this up. Thank goodness. Secrecy, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> so why is secrecy such a big sign? 
Yeah. So I think secrecy is the exact opposite of transparency. And transparency, I think, is one of the tenets of really love in action. Can you be completely forthright in the things that are happening all around you? And I think there's this funny belief in organizations that say, I have to keep it secret because they're not going to be able to handle the truth, right? They're not going to be able to handle that, you know, whatever. We had a hard quarter. We're going to have to do something totally different. So we 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 kind of keep this secret to, you know, the top individuals or the top people in the organization. I've got a great case study in the book around, you know, this organization where there was five leaders that went into the boardroom every morning, shut the shades and had this kind of secret meeting of what the what the employees had to do that day. I think that's just the best example of like, this is the opposite of what you actually want to do. Like when we can be really transparent and forthright around here are our challenges, you're going to get really great ideas from the people that are actually front front and center to the work. And so can we can we get over this idea that we can't handle it or other people aren't, you know, at a at a pay grade where that information is important and just be completely transparent with what's going on in the world? Yeah, here's one I want to call out. And uh, you just plainly stated as truth. And this is like the idea that people are just afraid to 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 tell the truth or to speak uh, truth to power. Yeah, this was me for uh, a big part of my early career around. Um, I talk a lot about we're, 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 we are wearing masks that kind of cover up our ideas of our limitations, our perceived limitations. And oftentimes we don't speak truth because we don't want people to see actually what we believe. And this kind of goes into that idea of the yes boss. We see in a lot of cultures that the more you just say yes, and the more you go along with the flow, the easier it is to kind of get what you need and get promoted and kind of be in that in club. But when you begin to speak your truth, and especially when your truth is not the... um the liked version of what the organization wants to hear, it becomes really hard. But I am beginning to see that turn in terms of individuals finding the courage. And this is the Brene Brown of like daring greatly of how do you step into a truth and be able to speak it with vulnerability in a space that is safe around you. And so I've seen more and more leaders try to create that safe space of like, let's have kind of an open door open conversation of what we need to hear right now to allow us to do things differently going forward. Yeah. And and we have to give permission. These leaders have to give themselves permission um, to allow themselves to be that open because, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it, they have operated from this perspective of fear and micromanagement and do as I say, that keeps people from showing up with giving voice and input, et cetera. Uh, but to me, it's always, always starts with the leader and I, this is all mindset stuff we're going to get into in a minute here, because, you know, there is a shift that needs to happen. So Heather, as far as your evolution, uh, your in general, anyone's evolution, if you are committed to this process of becoming an evolved leader, how do we make that, that switch from operating from fear to operating with love. Yeah. So first I would say, I think it's a lifelong journey in terms of being able to kind of make that transition, but it starts with what you said in my intro at the very beginning, this deep, deep level of self-awareness. 
when you said we have to, leaders have to give permission for us to do things differently, for us to come to the table with our truth, um, requires that leaders understand where they're holding their teams back and the beliefs that are just a part of how they were brought up in the organization. And so what I find more often than not is, you know, leaders, we're not struggling with leaders who are bad people and who want to create environments that are tough for other individuals and their employees, but they don't know what they don't know. And so being able to really work with someone to raise your self-awareness. And so what are my beliefs as it relates to how people should show up at work? And what does it look like for someone to be open and transparent? And then kind of check your ego in terms of Oftentimes people are getting threatened when, you know, someone else is showing up in a way that's really bright and shiny. And so, okay, what does that mean for me as well? And so uh, kind of long story short, the, the work that we continually need to do is continually look at ourselves, put a mirror in front of ourselves and where are we holding ourselves back and where are we operating from fear when we intentionally want to operate from a place of love and care. Yeah. So it's it's going back to the the whole idea of raising your self-awareness. For sure. Which is, you know, in the realm of 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 emotional intelligence. It's one of my favorite topics. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I and you can probably attest to this. I would say that 90% of the coaching that I do is is around the area of self-awareness. We don't label that, but you know, some people operate from um, from, uh, you know, from all of these things that we've mentioned, fear and secrecy and all that, and they don't know that they're doing it. Yeah. This is just the way they've been taught. Oh, a hundred percent. I would say, I would say close to a hundred percent of the folks that I work with, it is self-awareness. I mean, I use the, the immunity to change coaching process, which is all about how do we take a really good look at our assumptions and our hidden commitments to allow us to upgrade kind of our worldview. And that is all about gaining awareness of like, oh my gosh, I never knew that my mind operated that way, or I never knew that I had this kind of commitment that held me back in this space. And so for me, the secret sauce is always about how do we gain more insight about how we're operating? Yeah. And you can't, you can't walk the path of self-awareness and self-discovery by yourself. You can't be a lone uh, ranger in doing it. <laughs> you, you, you're going to have to surround yourself with people that will tell you, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit confrontational for some people, but that's what it takes. It takes a, a lot of courage to be able to admit your blind spots when someone else is addressing it and saying, well, you know, this is how you're being in the moment here. And because uh, sometimes we don't see it and that's why it's a blind spot. We need other people's help uh, pointing that out, pointing out our flaws. Yeah. Which calls out like the humility element. And so you, you asked earlier, like, what is an evolved executive? And I didn't mention it then, but humility is one of those pieces that I think <laughs> you're going to need as you go on this path in terms of people are going to confront you with what you, what you're seeing if you open that door and then being able to, all right, thank you for that gift, even though it really hurt me. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> so Heather, you, um, so sticking with this whole idea of self-awareness and, and and this is all mindset stuff uh, to me. And you, you mentioned the the work of uh, psychologist Bill Tolbert, and uh, he talks about how we go through these um, vertical levels of leadership development. But they are less about skills and competencies, you know, uh, all of that result stuff, and and really more about 
Yeah, I think emotional intelligence, like we said, we already said it, self-awareness. It's it's the soft stuff that that we have to discover. Maybe even understanding how the heart operates uh in in cohesion with the brain. Okay. But I want to I want you to take this to a level, a, a, a deeper level, okay. And you say that it's it's this this these these levels of leadership development. You get to that stage where it's moving into deeper levels of consciousness, and that's something that for a lot of people listening right now, it's like, all right, now they're getting into the metaphysical jum- mumble jumble, right? So unpack that in a practical sense. How is it that we, how do we move into a deeper level of consciousness? Yeah. So that is a, that's probably another podcast in itself, but let me touch on it lightly. I think when we, when we jump into this journey of evolving ourselves, we, we naturally are jumping into the journey of, of raising our, or expanding our consciousness. And, and the book has a, a, almost a full chapter on this. So I'm going to not do it complete justice, but there is this, um, this thing that happens when we be, we begin to question ourselves and we begin to contemplate and dive into different possibilities of how things exist. And, the one thing that I think helps us kind of move along these levels is the increase in awareness of how we're all connected. And I know that's going to sound a little bit metaphysical as well, but this idea of we are all um, mirroring and magnifying different parts of who who we are, the shadows that we are, um, the gifts that we are. And so as we as we raise our awareness, we begin to see the world a little bit differently. We begin to see like, oh, I'm I'm facing up against this obstacle for the third time. And so maybe it's me. Maybe it's me that I need to do something different. And then we raise even higher. And then we begin to see how the the organization, the teams are evolving in in a way that's either uh, a cycle of prosperity and goodness or kind of that toxic cycle. And and again, coming back to us as the leader of that team, how am I creating the conditions to allow this team to grow or evolve, you know, kind of go towards a more negative space? And so it's this, it is a difficult thing to understand if you're not a part of it, but if you're kind of diving into again and again, who am I? How am I serving? And how am I evolving in my mindset and my belief set and my heart set? I think you're naturally going to expand into your consciousness. I love it. I would translate it that into sort of this this beautiful new layer of self-awareness where it dives deep into our core values and kind of our, our you know, our what truly matters for us and to us, what maybe even bringing purpose into into um, how you evolve to understand the world around you right right down to interactions with people every day you know, throughout the day. Um, I think that that takes a, 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 a transformation of the self. Um, and, and, and so I'm, I'm tracking with you here about that, that deeper state of consciousness, uh, you know, without making this all new agey, I, I think there is definitely practical elements here. Uh, but again, going back to those stages or those, those levels, if you're just beginning your leadership journey, it's not going to be there. Uh, I, I think that you have to you have to be so committed to, for example, servant leadership. 
it is is an idea and the philosophy of leadership practice, but it, it that is not for everyone, right? I mean, you have to be totally in your mind convinced that you lead by serving others first, you know, even ahead of yourself. And that's a radical concept uh, for so many leaders. Wait, wait, you're asking me to put people ahead of my own needs? Uh, yeah, that's servant leadership. And uh, and I think that that takes a deeper consciousness. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing values back into the conversation because I think values, really understanding where you stand from a values perspective helps guide that that path of expanding your consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Heather, I want to touch on your recent exploration um, with coaching through horses. This is intriguing. <laughs> and, and because you added a new chapter in the second edition of the book, right? So because you found that that uh, working coaching through horses can actually help people experience profound change. I'd love for you to break that down for us. Yeah. So I grew up with horses and they were a huge part of my kind of early beginnings in terms of my own evolution. And my horse passed away when I was 20 and a part of me died with that horse. How long did they actually live? What's their lifespan? The horses are, you know, 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Um, but I, through a, a sequence of events, came back to the horses and um, had some really pivotal experiences in my life as it relates to jumping out of a corporate career into an entrepreneurial career, that horses have been um, incredible guides and partners as it relates to change. And so kind of, you're going to read about it in the book, but the long story short is that um, for me, horses bring us back to love. And so when we're in the presence of a horse, working with a horse as a peer, as a guide, as a coach, not necessarily as a rider and as a horse, but they provide us something that we don't often get. And that is instant non-judgmental feedback. And so we could be working on a change and we're butting up against kind of different roadblocks. Horses, by interacting with them, they're going to provide you immediate feedback of where you are in your belief system and where you're at in your subconscious. So if you could say, yeah, I'm going to make this career transition. I'm super excited and nothing's in my way. And you're working with a horse. The horse is going to sense into what you actually feel. And more often than not, I find that folks are, they still have that mask on. And so they more... Like I said, more often than not, are struggling with an imposter syndrome or are struggling with a fear around, am I really going to be able to do this? And the horse ends up fleeing from them. And in those immediate kind of uh, situations where you have that feedback from a horse, because a horse is a prey animal, and so they're constantly sensing for incongruencies in our beliefs and our energies, you then get to have a really deep conversation around what would it look like if I stand face to face with the fears that are in front of me? And when an individual comes back into congruence, and what I mean, they come back into a place where what they're saying is aligned with what they actually feel in their body, the horse will come back with them and engage with them. And so I always say, you can you can lie to me as a coach, right? But you can't lie to a horse. And so horses have become a really important kind of biofeedback mechanisms for folks that are really wanting to do deeper, deeper change. The other thing that I would say and really relevant to this conversation is, man, I think horses have been my greatest teacher of how to come back to love. 
And so when you're working with a horse, they don't care who you are. All they care is that you are real and authentic. And meaning that you can own the things that you are feeling. You can be truthful about your emotions. You can stand firmly grounded next to them. The moment you start to fake it, the moment you start to pretend to be something that you're not, they're not going to hang out with you anymore. And so this beautiful, non-judgmental, I want to be with you only as you are, has been such an incredible teacher for me and many of my clients. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is profound stuff. Heather, as we uh, wind down here, uh, what's your ultimate hope for people reading your book? (laughs) That they find their way back to love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of finding a way back to love, we have this this tradition on the show where we ask our guests to define or describe um, of everything discussed so far. Uh, or, or maybe something that we haven't covered yet. In your own words, uh, how do leaders lead with love day yeah. in and day out? Yeah. You know, I think it has to start with loving ourselves first. And that seems to be the biggest gap in so many places. So how can we have this unconditional friendship and loyalty with ourselves to be able to lead forward with love? And oftentimes, I think that's the hardest work when we are flooded with judgments around we're not good enough, or we shouldn't be here or whatever it might be. How do we, you know, drop into our hearts and kind of come back to this idea of, I am enough just as I am today, and I am going to take care of myself with that unconditional loyalty to who I am and know that I'm continuing to evolve. So that feels like the the work that's most important for each and every one of us is to come back to love within our, within our own hearts and our beings. Well, we bring it home with two questions yeah. with, uh, with every guest. Um, Heather, personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? Yeah. It goes very similar to this last comment of loving ourselves. Um, I'm in the process of, I think, letting go of a lot of stories that have held me back in terms of who I am and how I show up in the world. And most importantly, touch on where do I provide, where am I worthy, and where am I um, potentially fearing the this idea of rejection. And so, the thing that's tugging at my heart is how do we how do we play in the space of love even when we are dropping stories and beliefs about who we thought we were that feel really scary if i let this go then who am i going to be um and so it's this continuous practice of love in action it's the verb of how do we continue to to do the work and stay grounded in who are who we are with deep reverence for our for our process yeah, and that speak to speaks to our evolution as 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 leaders, right? Um, sometimes we hold on to these scripts that we've been that, that have been playing out in our heads throughout our lives that have to be discarded because they're no longer true. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, finally, as uh, as all guests do, you close us out with a key takeaway from our discussion or a closing remark to keep us inspired. Oh, you know, I think I need to close this out with such deep gratitude um, for our connection, for our continued um, kind of celebration and evolution into this space of love and action. It's been just a breath of fresh air to have. I mean, you are you are pioneering in the space just as much as I am and to have a partner in crime to really 
help people kind of see a different way in terms of how do we lead from love and how do we live from love. So I, I have deep gratitude for you. And that's what I feel like I want to share right now. Yeah, well, this come full circle, then uh, my gratitude came at the end, but I'll say it again. Um, I feel exactly the same way about you. So thanks so much. And Heather, if people want to connect with you, where can they go? Yeah. So you can find me online at www.beuntethered.co on LinkedIn as well, other under Heather Hansen Wickman, or send me an email at hello at beuntethered.co. So it's been amazing, finally, and uh, we're all better for it. Thank you for your wisdom and your time, and uh, we're going to have to do it again. Thank you so much. Keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love in Action podcast, and uh, and you can go to my website. You can get all of the goodies there. Um, I'm going to have the show notes to the episode. I'm going to have the uh, YouTube video uh, there for you to watch us if you prefer to do that. And all of the different links for you to um, to uh, check out. So, and you can find all of those resources on my website at marcelschwantes.com. And finally, if you'd like to sponsor the show to continue to help us spread this love and action movement globally, you can reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn, Marcel Schwantes, or on my website. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.